Howdy, you're listening to Think Brazos. We're dedicated to improving housing affordability, economic opportunity, and financial stability for families in Bryan and College Station, Texas. The city of College Station is considering allowing neighborhoods to vote for a restricted occupancy overlay, or RU for short. A RU would limit the number of unrelated people who can share a home, and local residents are divided over whether the RU would be good for College Station. This podcast episode is part of a series where we interview locals about the RU. In this episode, we interview former College Station City Council member Eleanor Vasali. This project where we're looking at the Rue really comes out of um, about six months, eight months ago, uh, we were following the College Station City Council. It was a workshop and they were discussing the the Rue at that time. And uh, there was one council member that that brought up talking about reasons to support the Rue. And he kind of went through a list of, you know, that this ordinance won't hurt these different groups. And then he got to low-income folks and he said, you know, this isn't going to hurt low-income families because after all, they have Habitat for Humanity. So that got our attention (laughs) because we're like, okay, now we're invested. If this is, if this is something that could actually, um, you know, cause issues for housing in our community and cause it harder for low-income people, to access housing, we're we're going to be interested in talking about that. Absolutely. So that's a little little background on uh, <laughs> on where we're at, right? Um, but we were uh, we were curious um, to hear a little more background on um, if you remember, you know, we were, we've only been looking at this for about a year. Um, do you remember when you were on city council? Was there any discussion about this restricted occupancy overlay? Is that what it's called? Okay. So um, I probably, one of the rare times that I uh, agree with Dr. Crompton, I think in the last meeting, he uh, made reference to the fact of, let's just be done with this. This has been done long enough. So I served on planning and zoning. um, I can't remember if I began in 2016 or 17. So I was two years on PNZ and one year on council. And this has been in discussion since then. And so personally, uh, my education with this issue or my involvement came um, because I live in Oakwood, which is just south of campus. And at that time, there was a renewal with what is uh, known as the South Side Overlay. And along with the South Side Overlay uh, that was developed at that time were discussions of restricting occupancy or the beginning of that type of discussion. So it's been dragging on for a while. And, uh, and even I personally find that frustrating. Of course, um, I probably or most definitely sit at opposite ends of the, of the thought process with most of council right now, um, but am in agreement that we just need to, to bring this to a decision once and for all. Yeah. And, you know, we're kind of curious about, what, um, you know, you've, you've studied this for a little bit. What particular things is this Rue trying to solve, essentially? What, what are they getting at, those that are, are supporting this, this move? 
It's my understanding, and uh, and I haven't just studied a little bit. It really has taken up a lot of my time over all these years, and I've done a lot of research and familiar with the areas around town who have self-imposed um, occupancy restrictions without the help of the city. And um, basically, initially, I can say that it is... I believe a desire to address what really are nuisance issues, such as parking, noise, trash, um, that can really come with any level of occupancy. We know that whether you're a tenant or whether it's homeowner occupied, I think everybody can go through a neighborhood and and pick out some houses that we're, we're maybe not too happy with. Um, And that's just up to individuals and uh, how they act or or care for their property. But so with those groups, the target has also been and has been stated on the record before council um, on the microphone has really been about students. And um, there's one specific phase on Pershing and a gentleman on the record said, you know, we want families people don't want to live next to students. Um, So that is really kind of the starting point of that. But as you mentioned, with any sort of regulation, you have to be careful with what else gets caught up in that. Yes, we are in a town with 65,000 plus students, but we have multiple socioeconomic levels, not even talking about what Corona or COVID has done, um, the home setting, the work setting. So once you begin to take away flexibility in uh, living and, and house situations, you take away options from various people. And, and that needs to be uh, addressed and looked at. So, um I guess we've kind of heard uh, bits and pieces of this already, but where do you stand in terms of the route? Which, as far as I understand, the way it would work is that the city would essentially do this overlay that would allow neighborhoods to then vote uh, on whether to restrict documents. Correct. So okay. if, you look, um, if you look in our UDO, or our uh, development ordinances, there is or there are the options to make conservation overlays. So just to correct a little bit what you just stated, it's not the city, what the city would do in adopting this is give subdivisions the ability to come together, uh, petition their neighbors within that subdivision as to whether they want to impose upon themselves and their neighbors this restriction. That petition would go through planning and zoning before council, and if passed, then it becomes an an overlay and an ordinance for the city to regulate and police like any other ordinance. So it would be up to our city and staff to enforce it as well. Um, My view on it comes You know, I'm a very, everybody knows, I've I've run for office several times. Everybody knows that um, I'm a limited government person. And uh, my particular issue with this in that I've discovered in my research, and in fact, I know has been done in several areas in town, is the dirty little secret is there's actually no need for the city ordinance. The state property code grants property owners 
the ability to impose restrictions within their subdivisions. Now, the secret is that the state, in honoring and recognizing the state of Texas, how important property rights are to us, has given that process a threshold of 75%. Because you have to understand, this is not like you coming in and buying into an HOA area or a deed-restricted area in the sense that you know what you're buying into. This is a process where you're trying to maybe roll back or add on restrictions, which can be very contentious because if you've bought into an area and you live there 10 or 20 years and all of a sudden somebody has a new idea they want to impose, that may not be what you had wanted. So the state allows for that process. Um, some deed restrictions within subdivisions allow already the owners to get together and modify. Uh, and some areas have done that around the Oakwood area. It's been done in Whitson Village. It's been done in Delaney. They've um, restricted occupancy. They've restricted architectural features. That has happened within the past five years. So my contention in observing and diving into this issue is, if you look, the initial suggestion at the city level is that the threshold be 51%. And along with a low, simple majority threshold, originally, now it's still in process, we don't know what's going to happen in these next couple of weeks of feedback, but originally also, there is no grandfathering. The state does allow for opt-outs for property owners. So you have all of a sudden, in my opinion, this special interest group that has pushed this issue through council in order to be able to pass restrictions with a simple majority. And in order to also lay the responsibility of enforcement on all of us taxpayers for their own little subdivisions. So originally, that's, my, that's, that's why I've been um, very vocal about this. And then on the other side is, you know, there's a lot of lip service to the socioeconomic issue the uh, inability to find affordable housing, but yet we proceed with, in my opinion, with this type of regulation, which again, limits flexibility, would make it more difficult for people to enter into neighborhoods that are part of that American dream, that part of that step up that, or may help them with their everyday issues, whether it's helping a family member or a non-family member, you're really closing out a, um, certain population. And as an immigrant, that has always been something that I've been very aware of because a lot of immigrants look to property, to lands, to buildings, um, to, to help them build their equity, build their wealth, get to that next level. So you, you kind of grow up with, with that. And then also you grow up with the idea that you have a community, you need this flexibility in, in order to help each other. But we also see very much in this Americana, we have these neighborhoods where people have a desire to, it's the reality. We only want to be next to what looks like us, what lives like us. Hence the idea of the HOA, which is great. If you made that choice to buy into that neighborhood to begin with, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the issue here and my fear is the fight that's going to come when you're trying to turn back 
20 or 30 years of an evolving neighborhood with a simple majority. And all of a sudden you're saying, no, I want it to be back like it was in 1960, like it was in 1970, and we're in 2021, and that's not the reality. So it's going to be very interesting to see by the end of February where the details of this ordinance, um, where they land. Yeah. And you you referred to uh, this kind of uh, public input period that we're having in February. I believe I saw that it's like um, they're going to be talking to students, talking to uh, real estate and talking to neighborhoods, neighborhoods. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've seen this, um, these sort of public input from your time on the, on the council. Uh, do you feel that um, this sort of input actually uh, has an impact on the way that council votes? Um, I'm just kind of curious because I've seen College Station does this, you know, quite a bit where they ask for feedback. Uh, do you feel that it has an impact on on the way people think and vote about policy issues like this? I think it's, um, I've seen a mix, honestly, historically. I think the biggest impact is um, not just the feedback, because I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's already been a survey out. The feedback has shown that people are really not in favor of this and yet it continues to move forward. Um, What I've seen be successful in implementing change or or pushing through feedback is when people um, contact council members individually through email or Mm -hmm. go up at the meeting. Uh, Now, granted, that's pre-COVID. There's a very different atmosphere in, you know, seeing a bunch of anonymous boxes that you don't really see until they're called upon versus a room full of citizens while you're sitting up there on the dice. So I think it will be interesting um, to see how this process moves forward, because now that I think about it, we've really never had this type of feedback process in a strictly Zoom setting. As far as the enforcement of something like this rue you you said that it's basically it's putting the enforcement on the city um can in your opinion can something like this like a rue on a particular neighborhood can it actually be enforced effectively in your opinion i think it's a mix the and this is what staff i believe has been trying to convey is there are limits to the information that they can gather So um, they can, you know, we have people, if you are on C-Click-Fix, you see that people will report properties for the number of cars that they may have. Well, legally, you have every right to have visitors parked at your property as long as it's an authorized surface. But so counting cars does not equate or reveal how many people are actually living inside. So beyond that, what can they do? They knock on the door, they have a discussion. Really the only time they've been um, effective in uh, enforcing is if whoever answers the door actually reveals, yes, there's five of us here, there's six of us here, there's seven of us here. If they're not aware of their rights, which is they don't have to answer the question. Right. So uh, in that case, there are limits. I mean, we have constitutional rights. They can't just enter. They can't enter and inspect. There's only so much they can do. And so I believe if you've listened to the meetings, um, most of those or, you know, the handful that have gone to court have been on the basis that um, somebody admitted 
how many there were inside, and uh, and then it moves from there. What I think the desired effect is as well from this special interest group is that in um, imposing the restriction on an area, well, then you affect the market and interested buyers. Because if, uh, let's pretend, let's use my neighborhood, let's say if Oakwood undergoes this overlay, well, whoever then is purchasing a house or is looking to purchase will have to be told that, hey, please know that one of the deed restrictions or one of the restrictions, excuse me, by the city is no more than two unrelated. So a buyer then looks at that and has to think, okay, maybe I wanted uh, a couple of cousins, maybe I have some friends I want to purchase this house with. That then limits um, the type of buyers that would come in. And I think my, my guess is that is the goal as well. It may not be an immediate effect, but it's a desire to keep out any new buyers um, who might not follow that regulation or fall into the class of that regulation. And that would be even if um, even if that neighborhood hasn't actually adopted the rue. Are you saying that having no, no, that no. latent? Okay. This would be Oakwood under yeah. the petition process adopts the okay. rue. Tomorrow, a property in Oakwood goes on the market. Okay. Then people looking at that property are told to have to understand that I can only have my immediate family because it's only two unrelated. Yeah. Okay. And you're in um, you're in commercial real estate. Is that right? Both residential. Both. We have a family business. Uh, we have residential properties that we lease. And, okay. and I work in commercial real estate for Stafford Barrett Commercial Brokerage. Got it. And what do you think um, the, I guess, results as far as home prices and that sort of thing would be um, in these neighborhoods um, if they adopted a rue or similar uh, regulation? So I think with any regulation, generally what you see as a market trend in the housing is anytime there are more restrictions, then your prices drop. And Mm. so that may sound like, hey, that's great. But again, your price is dropping, but you still may not have that entry point for that socioeconomic group who may not live in that traditional lifestyle Right. Or when I say traditional lifestyle, any other group, it doesn't matter socioeconomic. We have families that are built and made up of, of various relationships these days, and uh, they cannot uh, enter into that marketplace. And so having said that, one thing that I forgot that I'd like to add that I think is also a reasoning from the special interest group has been their frustration, which everybody shares, with rising property taxes. My opinion is this is not the way to solve it because in depressing your house price, um, sure, you lower your taxes, but this is somebody's equity. This is somebody's lifelong investment. Um, These are things that people want to pass on to their children. They might use a mortgage to help their kids go to college. They might use a mortgage to help put a family member in a nursing home. All of this touches 
that value of that property that you have put your lifeblood into. So is property tax a difficult and um, <laughs> burdensome issue? Yes, it is. But in my opinion, this is not the correct way to address that because you're hurting when in essence is the American dream, something that we all want to build up is that equity, that investment um, for ourselves, for our kids, for our family. We heard that you were actually, one of your properties was investigated for yes. allegedly being <laughs> over-occupied. Yes. Um, we'd like to hear a little bit about that Absolutely. process and see what do people have potentially in store if, if this does go through? Right, what, right. What could life be like for you? So, you know, I've got, because I've been doing this with this for years, my antennas are always up everywhere and I'm on the C Click Fix app and I kind of watch what's going on. And so I actually saw somebody submit the report before I was even contacted as a property owner. So oh, wow. my property pop up on C Click, you know, I saw, oh, and no more than four today. Let's see who this is. Not that. <laughs> that's that's mine. Um, and so I, uh, and it's public, I put a message on there, which I've always been very clear about. I said, this is my property. Um, we never rent to more than four. I mean, we follow the rules. We've been in this business for, gosh, over 25 years, have had that property for over 20 years. And uh, I also made it clear that I also share with my tenants what their rights are, which is they have no obligation to speak to you, no obligation for information. And, uh, and it started there. Uh, code enforcement may have contacted the tenants first. I can't remember, but I told the tenants, hey, we've been flagged. And I reminded them, I said, don't be intimidated. They are city staff. It's going to be okay if anybody knocks on the door. Don't, you know, don't worry. Um, but feel free to call me if you need any assistance uh, in answering questions. You have no obligation to let them in and no obligation to speak with them. And I don't know if you are aware, but a couple years back before I joined PNZ, so this may have been 2015-16, there was an update to the rental registration where they wanted to tighten it up and gain more access to the documents which a lot of investors in town, of course, pushed back on. So the compromise was um, not receiving a copy, but being able to review the lease documents. So I was contacted by code enforcement, which I knew would happen, and they wanted to review the documents. So uh, I invited them to the office, put it up on the screen. They were able to read it, you know, see that I had four tenants on that lease, and, um, you know, it was two gentlemen, very kind. And, and I also understand, you know, they're, they're doing their job. I mean, this, there's no animosity. Right. The comment was made that, which I knew was the issue, most likely the issue. Well, you know, ma'am, there, there are more than four cars parked there, you know, with a very serious kind of tone. And as I said, as kindly as possible, I said, I don't care. I said, I and the tenant have every right to have guests park at the property. It's that you're not breaking the law. So we had a discussion. They said, well, you know, if they're overnight, I said, no, no, no. When I use the word guests, I don't mean overnighters. I just mean whether it's overnight visitors. I said, this is a house across from campus. It's a Christian fraternity. They have friends there all the time. And I said, even when I was a student, if I knew I could have a parking place other than paying for 
campus parking, I would definitely be there. I said, I don't care. They have every right to have visitors park there. So I knew that was the main issue. Um, It did several months. It probably prolonged because just as a side note and full disclosure, I think the kids had never, because this is a fraternity, they just kind of roll over tenants And one who had moved out over a year ago had never changed his name on the utilities. Uh. I helped them do that. But code enforcement contacted that young man who, you know, for over a year lives in Houston. And he said, yeah, I've I've moved out. I don't know what you're talking about. So I helped the kids get that changed because apparently um, if you don't put it on automatic payment, you need a security deposit. And that was just a huge amount for them. Mm -hmm. But then uh, I got a call from the tenants because I'd said, you know, if they come up, feel free to call me. And I missed it. And code, I called 10 minutes later and code had come up to the door, which I understand is probably for safety purposes, but accompanied with one of our police officers who I know um, he's part of the community enhancement unit. So uh, I'm sure my guess is maybe it was for code safety, but I personally find that um, a little intimidating. I know if somebody were knocking at my door with an officer, uh, I'm not quite sure what I would think. Right. Um, and so they had a conversation. Apparently everything went well. The young men again explained, these are visitors. We're in a fraternity. We have study groups, et cetera. I said, go, let me give the phone to them. I want to talk to them. And uh, because at that point it had been three months. Wow. And so um, the code enforcement officer kindly said, yes, you know, actually I was about, you know, I'm going to go to my office and, and email you and let you know that I'm actually, I'm closing this out. And I said, wonderful. And he said, we did have a meeting internally to discuss how long this case actually took because it shouldn't take this long. So we're going to work on our processes to make sure that that doesn't happen. And my question to him, I said, okay, you've closed me out. Does this mean I have some sort of moratorium? You know, you know that this lease ends July 31st. Am I at least okay with that? And he said, no, actually, if somebody calls in two weeks and reports it, I have to open up a case again. And I said, okay. So here's my other request, which I then put in writing when he emailed me. I said, I would like you to speak to your department heads and at least consider some moratorium if it's not to the end of the lease term. Um, Because otherwise, you know, you how do you know this? You are opening up or enabling harassment because in C-Click Fix, you don't have to identify yourself. This was an anonymous caller that called in to report my property. Wow. You know, I'm very vocal about these issues. I'm not surprised that it has happened, but I also made it clear that, you know, these reporting apps uh, sometimes are just used as a tool uh, of harassment. And I said, you, we've got to consider a moratorium. We've gone through three months of this process. I mean, granted, worst case scenario, yeah, sure. Maybe they could say, hey, buddies, come on, you know, come on and come live with us. But Honestly, the thing is, you've just been investigated, you know, give us an amount of time where we know for sure you're not going to open up another case. So that's still up in the air. Um, It was pushed back up for feedback, but I'm not sure if that uh, is part of the process. And I would have to probably follow up with um, Elizabeth Kuna to see if there's going to be any any change in that. But as of right now, 
if somebody right now called it in, they would open up a case again. So it's it's just a matter of anonymously calling it in. Is that what you're saying? Telling? So for mine, okay. So for mine specifically, it was reporting the number of cars parked there. And I do know they most likely were driving by checking. Then code was probably checking themselves. Um, after my case, now when somebody reports according to the number of cars, code enforcement gives a, a newer, a different answer. Clearly, they've met and discussed this with legal because now the answer says, you know, thank you for submitting your case or the case. Um, we will take a look. But please note that visitors may park on the property legally okay. and that a number of cars does not equate um, an occupant. Got it. That's since my case. <laughs> Before that, Yes, they take a picture of the number of cars and they're like, there's more than four cars parked here regularly. That means there's got to be more than four um, unrelated in this home. If a car is parked on the street in front of the property, do people just assume that that they're there at that property? That's a good question. I've heard of an issue like that. Um, You can park anywhere. She went to court in Bryan several years ago. Um, I don't think in College Station, from everything I've seen come through to see Click Fix, it's really if they're packed in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And the tenants at one point, uh, you know, I, I was laughing a little bit because they said, well, you know, we told our guests to, you know, park on the street. We were worried. And I said, you know, you don't have to. You have every right. But then I was thinking, well, on the other hand, then these same people complain that our streets are congested with cars. So, you know, you, <laughs> I was laughing internally saying, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. But, um, but so, no, in College Station, from what I've seen on C-Click Fix, it really is just about if they've got cars in the driveway. I don't think I've ever noticed a street parking issue. Did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up about the RU uh, before we sign off? I just, you know, I love the diversity in my neighborhood. I love how eclectic it is. I'm just very concerned. I honestly have felt a push of, you know, this is not the same neighborhood that we were in 30 years ago. And and I'm okay with that. You know, I know change is hard, but um, I'm okay with that. But that's a real concern for me is um, trying to shut certain people out or certain classes of people out. And, uh, and, and I know the focus is on students, but I'm truly concerned that there's not a, a bigger picture. Um, and the facts that I did not hear that quote that you mentioned about habitat, um, the fact that, uh, you know, as, as wonderful as habitat is and as much as y'all contribute to the community to present that as some, side solution, you know, habitat can also not solve all of all of these issues. You are one integral part, but um, there's so much out there. So the fact that certain people are, are simply relying on that to say, well, it's okay to do this because we've got habitat, um, that's very concerning to me. We need to have multiple options. Um, I have tenants who are housing voucher tenants. I have tenants who are families, young professionals. I don't just have students. So I see it across the board. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, guys. I've enjoyed uh, I've seen the podcast even before we emailed. So I've enjoyed it. And I think it brings uh, a different angle to the conversation that was uh, definitely needed. 
So thank you all for what you do. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think Brasses. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Alexa. Check out the other episodes on the Rue and let us know what you think by leaving a comment or sending us an email at thinkbrasses at gmail.com. Think Brasses is a project of Brian College Station Habitat for Humanity. And just remember, think local, think Brasses. <laughs>